0: Where are our leaders? We're facing many challenges today. And there's so many different angles to these challenges. First, the COVID-19 pandemic, which is not gone. Resurgencies in different cities and different parts of the world. Can we get out of quarantine? Are we opening up stage one, stage two, the debates? The health questions continue to plague us. There is no vaccine. Has it been contained? Has it been slowed down? Has the curve been flattened? And then, of course, the derivative effects on the economy, on our jobs, on the state of the government, on our relations with other countries, our children, schools, summer camps, our entertainment industry, our food industry, our travel industry. The list goes on. And then, just when we thought it was safe to get back into the water, as the expression was said, another pandemic, the raging unrest, racial tensions that has consumed the headlines. And that, too, has many derivative and secondary stories. And then there's the exponential impact. There's one glaring element and storyline that I have not really seen been covered, and glaring it is, and extremely relevant, and that is the question, where are our leaders? So you'll say, what do you mean? We have leaders, we have a president of the United States, we have governors, we have mayors, We have business leaders, we have other leaders. Well, let's define what a leader is. Is a leader an administrator, a firefighter, meaning puts out fires, reactive? In that sense, yes, we have quite a few. What I mean by a leader is, imagine when you were in school, when you were in college, At work, a leader is a motivator, is an inspiration, is someone that bolsters our spirits. During war, the commander-in-chief, the head of a division, they not just give a pep talk, they're a living example of courage, fortitude, that no matter what the challenge, we will forge ahead. I have not heard a speech given by any of the so-called leaders of our society, in this country or in any other country, whether a political leader, a business leader, an entertainment leader, a sports leader, you name it, any industry that has given a talk to us about the magnitude, about the majesty of the human spirit, about how we can use this as an opportunity to become great people, that we should have the courage and the confidence that we will conquer this as we have conquered so many other devastating diseases and epidemics and pandemics and other challenges of the past. Someone that just makes you feel confident that we're really forging ahead. A proactive voice, not a reactive one. Not just putting out a fire, okay, how are we going to contain this? In the medical community, it's been so reactive. Now, to justify, yes, it is a pandemic. It's a strain that's not been seen before. So you can say, hey, how could you expect from doctors and medical authorities who are honest, they can't lie and say, no, we have this under control. So the only thing they can do is to contain it. We're not talking about being dishonest. That's the facts on the ground. But then there's another dimension to it. It's like having that doctor. You're fighting, God forbid, cancer or some other illness, and the doctor comes in and has that calming voice and says, it's challenging. These are the realities on the ground, but there's the human spirit. There's a power in the immunity system of a person's mind, heart, and soul. That is glaringly lacking in this whole conversation. And that's what I want to address. This is not meant to criticize anybody. You know, So if you think this is a pro-Trump or anti-Trump conversation, or pro-Pelosi, anti-Pelosi, or this side of the aisle, that side of the aisle, no, that's not where I'm coming from. This is a collective that affects us all. And everyone, on one hand, has been lacking in this regard, and on the other hand, perhaps, is clueless. Can you demand of a leader to be a leader, if they're clueless, they don't even know what a leader is. So I want to submit that the lack of this type of leadership and leader is not an accident. It's a very big symptom, a very powerful indicator of the sign of our times. And in many ways, perhaps, can also help explain the shock, how this is so unsettling. Well, of course, any pandemic would be unsettling, but even more so because of the times in which we live. There's a fascinating statement in the Talmud that says, every generation gets the leader it deserves, which means a leader is like a mirror image of the generation, of the times. So let's talk about leadership. Let's talk about leadership, and then we will return to think about our times Where are our leaders, these leaders? So what defines a leader? What is a leader? I mentioned before administrator, firefighter, paper pusher, fundraiser. What's a leader? In any industry, what is a leader? So our usually knee-jerk reaction, a CEO, the head of a company is a leader. The chairman of the board is a leader. The president of a company, the president of the United States is a leader. A head of state. Different names for it. Once they were called kings, monarchs, czars. Now they could be prime ministers, presidents, and so on. And this is in every industry. There are leaders in the business community, there are leaders in the educational world. Some of the definitions of a leader would be someone who has the experience, someone who's climbed the ladder, who's gained the trust. But if you go a step further, you could also say the leader is the most aggressive, the one that was most driven, most ambitious, often stepping over others, maybe the most, the greatest manipulator. Is the leader of every industry that you know that I know the best, most competent person in that position? Or is the person that had a combination, sometimes a little luck, sometimes a little favoritism, nepotism? All the different factors. I'm not going to go through the whole analysis of it. But what do we expect of a leader? We expect of a leader is to guide the ship, whatever that ship may be. So there is the debate, usually during presidential elections in the United States, is a leader, the president, an excellent administrator? Excellent delegator? Excellent manager? Or is it truly a visionary? And there's debates about it. Some say we don't want a visionary. Rather have someone who's a good, efficient, delegator, efficient manager. Now when things are going smoothly, it's like when the ship is in the sea, and there's no storms, and there's no setbacks, and no challenges, and no battles. You can get away with a mediocre leader. You can get away with a mediocre captain. Because there isn't much to manage. But when there's a crisis, when war breaks out, when a pandemic breaks out, when other challenges we face, then you start wondering and start seeing who's who. Warren Buffett said it about a completely different matter. When the tide is out, you see who's been swimming naked. When the lights are dimmed, you start seeing the cracks. Very often, the leaders that have risen in history were not even expected to be a leader, but they were faced with a real challenge, whether it was a war or another challenge, and they rose to the occasion because that's what was expected of them. Some did not rise to the occasion. So I have a chapter in Toward a Meaningful Life called Leadership. What is leader? A leader. So in most cases, a leader is somebody who has to have a healthy ego, has to be driven, has to be ambitious. The leader is defined by what he is, by what he, she is. And often, again, it's not those competent necessarily, but the person who's managed, who's maneuvered. And we hope ethically, sometimes it's not so ethically. When we talk about leader, by contrast, the true leaders in history, Moses is the quintessential leader. The one who led the Jewish people out of Egypt to Exodus. The one who led them 40 years through a wilderness. Tremendous challenges. The one who served as God's messenger to bring them the mandate. So some would call that a spiritual leader, an educator, a teacher, a rabbi, a rebbe. However you define it, what the Torah tells us about his leadership was, you know what? He was the humblest man that walked on earth. Humility. Interesting. Humility is a beautiful virtue. But is that the definition of a leader? As a matter of fact, you can argue a humble person may not be the best leader. Because a leader needs to be aggressive, needs to be dominant, needs to be forceful at times. Persuasive. Humility is a beautiful virtue, but it may not always serve a leader well. And yet, that's the description. This man was the humblest that walked on earth. Another description of Moses, a shepherd. The first time he is described in the book of Exodus, he was a shepherd. Explained why? Because a shepherd is a true leader, the shepherd. He shepherded his flock. You're the shepherd of a flock. The expression of a leader. As we're told, Moses was a shepherd. By his future father-in-law jethro and once it happened that among the thousands of sheep he suddenly noticed one of the sheep disappeared wandered off he began searching desperately frantically and finally found the sheep a while away had gone off near a brook of water sipping water so he realized the sheep was thirsty he fell bad. He lifted the sheep, put it on his shoulder and carried it back to the flock. And that's what we're told. God said, if a human being can be that sensitive when nobody's looking, nobody's watching, one sheep among thousands to a sheep, this is a person you can trust with the people, with my people, to be a shepherd of these people. Again, an indicator of sensitivity to the person to the people so what is the true definition of a leader not what he is but what he is not what he does not have lack of arrogance lack of pompousity, lack of self-assurance self-righteousness a leader is someone who's dedicated to a cause higher and greater than himself or herself and as such will be acutely sensitive to the people that he is leading Or she is leading. Very different definition. Maybe surprise some of you. Why? Because we don't have leaders like that. When's the last time you saw a leader like that? We may have been lucky in school and had a mentor that had that type of compassionate sensitivity, empathy, kindness, at the same time gave us direction. Because we're not just talking about a humble person. When Moses' humility is explained, it says, no, he wasn't humble as in he did not have qualities. He was quite aware of his supreme qualities, his brilliance, his integrity, and so many other qualities. But he said to himself, these are not mine, they're God-given, they're a blessing, they're a gift. And if someone else was given this gift, they may have done better than I. So it's a person dedicated to something greater than themselves. So then when there's a crisis, what do you think they're going to do? They're not going to run for cover. That's just plain cowards. They're not just going to put out fires and just deal and react to the situation and band-aids. They will do what has, has to be necessary and prudent to solve the situation. But above all, they will get up. And with that type of confidence and pride, and dignity will inspire their community. And there's a lot to be said for that. You see it even in sports. You ever see right before a game begins, a football game, a baseball game, how the coach or the manager gives his people a pep talk? We see it during battles, time of war. What is this pep talk? Why do you need to do that? Because half the battle is psychological. Yes, there's a battle to be fought, whether it's a battle against a disease or a battle against any other adversary, adversary adversarial forces. But there's another battle, a psychological battle. Do you have confidence that you can win? Do you have confidence that you have what it takes? And the, psycholo- the one who wins the psychological battle will probably win the entire battle. Because you can have the, all the armies, and the weapons, and the resources, and the artillery, but if you don't have the confidence, if you don't have the psychological fortitude and wherewithal, easy to lose the war. On the other hand, you can have less, lesser army, lesser artillery, but if you have people who are completely passionate about the cause, they can beat far greater armies. And this isn't just true on the battlefield, physical battlefield. It's also true on the psychological, emotional battlefield. Case in point, the Vietnam War. Who would have thought? Who would have thought a bamboo country faced with the United States of America, the largest, mightiest military in history? A little country. You can't even compare. Though They were armed a bit by the Soviet Union, but how could you compare? Did the United States win the war? No. They lost the war. They had to leave. Goals were not met. Whatever the justification, the domino effect of the Soviet influence in that part of the Far East, whatever the reasons were, the bottom line was, you asked any American military person, why are you there? I don't know. Why are you fighting? What What does victory mean? America wasn't trying to conquer Vietnam for territory. It was some ideological idea that lost sight and vision, and therefore the soldiers were fighting. They were told to do that. Many of them had no clue why they're there. Can you fight a battle when, number one, you don't know what you're fighting for, and number two, you don't know why you're fighting? And you don't know what the victory, what the destination is. How can you fight a battle when you don't know the destination? So you can imagine the leadership was a tremendous bankruptcy of leadership. Whatever point that was in the 60s. And you could never win such a battle. The Vietnamese that were locals, this was their homeland. This is their place. They fought tooth and nail because it was their, it was their life. America wasn't, it wasn't like, you know, so we win, we win, we lose, we lose. What difference does it make? It's not on our mainland, etc. World War II there was total moral clarity, and that was provided. I don't want to say thank God, but it was provided by the ult, the ultra antithet, antithesis to anything good, the evil Yamach Shemay. May his name be erased. Hitler and the Nazis. They made it very abundantly clear what their goals were. So you had to take a stand. You're either for them or against them. It wasn't ambiguous. It wasn't. Whether or not, there was no question then. We're fighting then for everything we believe in. The same thing with the Revolutionary War here, the same thing in Israel and other places. It's a clarity. And that clarity, the leader knows how to explain it, communicate it. Why are we here? Why are we fighting? Why are we ready to risk our lives? And I'm using military only as an example. We should never have to fight military wars bloodshed, loss, and death. But there are other battles that have also taken lives. This pandemic has taken lives. And I'm not blaming anyone. Let's make this very clear. It's not due to the lack of leadership why lives have fallen. It's due to a coronavirus that spread and was not contained. I'm talking about something far larger. Here we have a situation that has affected the entire globe. Have you heard one talk from a head of state, from Europe, from Asia? from the Middle East, from Africa, from the United States, from South, South, South America, Australia, New Zealand, Antarctica, maybe Antarctica, that you said, wow, what a talk. Look how it makes me feel. And you'll say, is that psychological? Yes, it could be psychological. It probably is. I'm not talking about briefings, which are important. Where do we stand? the warnings necessary, the precautions, masks, quarantining, lockdowns, to protect the innocent, to protect us all. That, thank God, we had different leaders, rose and gave us those reports. But those are reports, I would put that into the carry of firefighting. It's like saying, here the fires are burning. Here's what we're doing to put them out. Here's what we're doing to protect that the fire shouldn't spread. We need firefighters. There's not even a question about that. But that extra dimension. Instead, a polarization, a politicization of the process. It all has become referendums against the president or for the president. Everything seems to be an opportunity for different sides using it for their own gains. So what do you think it creates in the masses, in the silent majority? cynicism even resignation i'm not resigned because thank god i grew up and i've seen a leader what a leader is and perhaps that's what gives me the perspective that i'm able to share because when you know what you're lacking when you know what a true leader is then you know what you're lacking yes we're lacking this there's no question that moral certainty that moral clarity That belief in the human spirit. This is not necessarily because you have these beliefs or this religion or that religion or this party or that party. I'm talking about a universal message. A universal message that we were all here put here. You want to add the statement from the Declaration of Independence. Great, all men are created equal, all people are created equal. Everyone in the divine image. And I'm not emphasizing the religious component but the universal one and we have been here look at human progress we've turned the world into a far better place and we will continue to do so and we will come out of this pandemic and out of the racial divide and everything else greater than ever and make propose, propose ideas what we can do to be more loving and kinder and gentler and more caring and more united than ever suggestions yes what has happened is, no one has called Is This became a grassroots effort. Each of us became, in a small little way, a leader to the best of our ability, with all his ups and downs. But that type of voice is a glaring omission and a true headline that needs to be addressed. Because with it, it would give us a lot more confidence. I see much uncertainty. The unknown is very debilitating. And you don't always see the effects. It takes time to see the effects of an uncertain future. Yes, we all are confident this is going to end and it will life go back to normal. So there's the debates on the matter. But it still has taken a toll. And in some ways has brought out beautiful things and innovation, unprecedented. That's not a question here. So I'm not pointing my finger to any individual. You know why? Because I don't expect anything from them. in this regard. Yes, we hope that they are honest, efficient, good firefighters, good administrators, will do what's necessary. But like once I once spoke to someone, I gave him an idea, a visionary idea. He says, I'm just a glorified administrator. Why are you sharing with me a vision? A leader shares a vision, a vision of where we headed. Whether the founding fathers were personally visionaries or not, I don't, didn't meet them. But what they produced was visionary. And perhaps it was precisely because they were under the pressure of a King George, of a land across the sea, across the pond, as they call it, Great Britain. And they finally, almost in an apologetic way, right in the Declaration of Independence, there comes a time we have to sever the ties that are binding you, that are subjugating you. And that clarity... That we want independence. That we want to be able to determine our destiny and future. And all the other principles they documented. This is visionary. It came, no question it came due to pressure. It didn't come because they were sitting around, lounging around and philosophizing. It came due to seeing the damage done by centuries of monarchies, of one-man rule, of individuals not being given their right, whether it's the freedom of speech or the freedom of religion or the freedom of expression or the freedom of assembly. And they created a morally, clearly, clear document. It was so clear that it even defied some of their own lifestyle. They had slaves. Ultimately, their own writing undid their own slavery because it said all men are created equal. So they justified it in their own distorted ways. And it remains a document a shining document of a vision. Abraham Lincoln did it after the Civil War. FDR in some one of his a few of his talks during World War II. Churchill. And this is not about the people. We may have completely disagreed with them. If we lived around them and they were especially exposed to media today, who knows what would have happened. But still, there were these statements made, and it was often very heartfelt. I am not suggesting they were necessarily the epitome of a leader, but they did rise to some extent. So it's not a comparison. And I'll explain now why don't I expect it. So why don't we expect this from our leaders? Because we don't expect it from ourselves. We live in a society which is a, the blessing is its curse. Our prosperity is also our undoing. Things since World War II, World War II ended in 1945, right? So we're talking about 75 years ago, right? 45, Yep. It's a generation. After World War II, there was a surge of prosperity. We had seen, we had witnessed the worst human beings, the worst of human beings. Over 120 million died in the two world wars how many more injured, how many more emotionally, psychologically. I mean, it's hard to describe the devastation. But then came a period of prosperity, which the United States was already on that trajectory. With no war for 75 years, well, even World War II was not fought on American soil, which was also an important measure that America was not disrupted. It was disrupted in its economy and disrupted in the whole war machine. But it wasn't a battle for that didn't ravage these cities. Another discussion, not for here. But then came an age of prosperity, of growth, success. And yes, humans and countries and nations saw the need to make sure it doesn't happen again, the bloodshed, that type of war. Success. And when I say success, let's measure it in a very practical way. I once asked a sociologist, how do you define a healthy society? He said, the GDP... Life expectancy, health insurance, standard of living, do we have clean water? There's a whole bunch of criteria that define a healthy society. In that sense, it's probably the healthiest and the most successful society of all. The wealth that was accumulated, the technologies that were developed, medical breakthroughs, breathtaking and we did not have to fight for our values they became a given so what happens to a generation children growing up it's just a given there's no fear there's no war there's no battle no one's coming to take away your rights you can go to any school you wish you can study learn speak as you see fit what happens when that becomes a given it's a great blessing but then we take it for granted and you know what settles in apathy I'm not sure who devised that, uh, that theory, but it clearly holds out throughout history that every nation, every, the world, goes through four, four or five cycles, four or five stages in a cycle. First there's utter oppression. Then comes stage two, freedom from that oppression. Begins a period of growth, of prosperity. Then, once they're successful enough and long enough, it becomes an apathy. You lose sight of values. Corruption begins to settle in. Exploitation. A next generation is born and rebels because they don't want the conformity, even though there are all these comforts. A rebellion. A disruption. And then, often, the rebirth of a new movement or a new, a new consciousness. And you see this throughout. The United States of America was born after oppression. was the birth success. Then came apathy. So the apathy, ultimately what it does is it erodes that sense of urgency. Material comforts become more important than higher values. And it's precisely because of the blessing. And that's what happened. You would have asked any young man or woman five months ago, not just young, any person, any man or woman. Give me the three or five most important things in your life. Priorities. The list would be, and I asked this question, that's why I'm responding, not a scientific survey, a study. The answer would be sexuality, relationships, love, and everything that comes with that. Two may be um, sports, making money, business, my uh, entertainment and travels, my hobbies, my video games. And I'm not exaggerating. You would not have among the list, in that list, anything that's permanent. Because when everything is given to you, you don't need to fight for it. You don't even need to mention it. You take it for granted. And if you ask someone, what are you ready to fight for? What are you ready to die for? I don't mean physically die. So committed? Yeah, I'm a Boston fan. That the Boston should win the World Series. Or some other passion. Sometimes complete nonsense or sometimes some value and content to it. Obviously, people would also say being healthy, having a healthy family. And sometimes values would be thrown in. You ask somebody today, The answer is going to be very different. I hope it would be different. Today we'll talk much more about values. The love in my life. What do I believe in? What do I stand for? What am I ready to fight for? So when you have conference like that, what do you think kind of leaders are going to be produced? Leaders that are in the image of the people and their standards. Most people could not live without Sunday football then extend it to Monday, and then to Thursday, and the holiday seasons, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Some people can now live without their soap operas, without their restaurants, without the theaters, without the Oscars, you name it. A whole schedule that everybody was bound to, I can, that was not optional, at least in everybody's minds. So what kind of leader rises in an environment like that? A leader that's also that way likes to play golf, like sports, like sexuality, is a leader among the people. Whatever their standards are, His standards are. This fantasy that our leader should be a paragon of morality that is beyond us all. Why? Yes, it's a nice illusion and a nice aspiration, but it's a leader like all of you. There used to be that, that joke they would ask the question, the king of the fools is a greater fool or a lesser fool than the fool's? So on one hand, you'd say, one second, if he's the king of the fools, that means he made it to be king, so he's a lesser fool. Or you could say the opposite. Since they're fools, who's the king of the fools? The greatest fool of them all. So leaders became a product of the society. A society became very lackadaisical, very apathetic about its true values. So then when the values are challenged, or life is challenged as it is now, and there's suddenly racial outbreak, what are you going to have? The leaders have all been educated. They're all part of us. They're part of the problem. They're part of lack of vision, lack of what do you stand for? What are you ready to fight for? We never had to answer that question. So what happens now? They're just not around. They weren't educated. They weren't trained. Because the people never needed it. They needed it, but able to get away without it. So, our lack, the vacuum of leadership today is a direct result of our entire social situation, which you can also argue is one of the reasons that this pandemic, perhaps like no other, has so unsettled us. Because not only was it unexpected, everything was working. We had our schedules, we had what restaurants we're going to eat at in the next months, we had our summer plans travel plans, school, everything suddenly. There was a baseball season coming. Who wasn't preparing under those people who are baseball fans? Everything, the whole world around it. And each of these industries has sub, 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 sub industries. All that disrupted, upended, destabilized. What are we left with? Our own inner resources. Leadership. The leaders we elected, the leaders we've chosen, the leaders that climbed the ladder, whatever, whether they're corporate leaders or political leaders or sports leaders or entertainment leaders, you name the industry, educational leaders, they were always administrators until now. So, what suddenly you expect them suddenly to become what? So now, yes, there were firefighters. Thank God there weren't many fires to fight. Now there are, so all the firefighters are coming out to do what they have to do. Visionary, proactive. Have you heard anyone say, listen, this is the year 2020. It's the year of disruption. Amazon disrupted the last few years, the internet, Amazon disrupted the entire retail business. Technology in general is disrupting the dinosaurs and the old models. President Trump disrupted Washington, Republican and Democratic, and everybody else. It's an age of disruption. Disruption is meant to lead to greater realities, to greater truths. That's what happened in the Black Plague, the Middle Ages. That's what happened after other pandemics. Give us a history lesson. Not a history lesson, a history lesson. Learn from the past and say 2020, in 2030, 2025, without giving a necessary exact date. We are not just going to grow through this, we're going to become greater than ever. We're going to eradicate disease. Give up game plans, some vision. Then, of course, we have to also work on the ground level. That's what a good leader does offers vision, offers confidence, offers hope. And above all, I would like to use the word spiritual vision. Because at the end of the day, the human spirit is so critical here. Our attitudes, our fears and uncertainties, our confidence, our hopes, our aspirations. Take us back to the Declaration of Independence, to 1776. That's what you do. You revisit. You go back to the point of departure. Why are we here? You go back to the mission statement. However it's articulated, the mission statement that we are here to create a better world, a world of liberty and freedom. And not just a slogan. Turn it into a plan of action. To a call of action and reaffirm it once and again and again. It becomes the mantra. You know, a leader would rise up and say something like that. They would get everybody's attention. While also fighting the fires and putting out, extinguishing all the challenges that we have to the best of our ability, this is lacking. You look into the story of Moses, you see what Moses was. Moses didn't just come and say, okay, let's figure out how to get out of Egypt. He strengthened the people. He strengthened their faith, their trust, their hope. They were broken. Their spirits were broken from servitude and hard labor and bondage and genocide over years and years. The truth is, we all have that leader within us. I highly recommend, read the chapter of leadership and Toward a Meaningful Life. We all have that leader within us because we have a spirit within us. So then you could argue, what do we need a leader? But one leader can help ignite, can help reveal, can help uncover the spirit within us. That's what a true leader does. Reminds me of Michelangelo's immortal words when I asked him, how do you carve, how do you sculpt those beautiful angels in the marble? He says, I see the angel trapped in the marble and I carve and carved and set her free. That's what a leader does. It reveals the best in us. What we can become, not just what we are. Gives a picture. paints, Depicts a picture. Paints a picture of a larger narrative. A narrative that covers all of history till now, and where history is unfolding. And we can be part of that narrative. We can be part of the unfolding drama of our individual lives and collective lives. But for that, you need spiritual clarity. You need spiritual vision. You need a bird's eye view. Why are we here? Ask most people. Ask leaders, quote-unquote leaders. I don't even want to call them leaders. They're just name by name. They're leaders of a company. They're leaders of, a, of an entity, of an industry. Ask them, why are we here? Some will say, that's not an area you are allowed to speak about because people have different opinions. And you're forcing me, I can't bring in my faith into the picture, my beliefs, my philosophies. Why are we here? Why is the human race on this earth? Why are you and I here right now? That's what a leader challenges you to ask. And he comes up with an answer. He's not going to answer it for you. The answer is because we're here to refine and spiritualize the material existence and turn it into a divine home and a divine garden. Yes, each of us our little corner of the world. using our unique skills and our unique talents and our unique opportunities and unique personalities. And that's why we have all the freedoms that were bestowed upon us by the Creator. To be able to spread our wings, to soar, our spirits soar, and build a greater world. It's not the goal is to make money, to have power, to control. The goal is not just... Survival at its best, its higher purpose, a higher reality. The world itself, the material world, is a hostile world, hostile to each other and hostile to its higher purpose. You can get so consumed when you're making money and you're controlled by your schedules and everything that you think is so important to your routine. That you become a slave to your own routine. What the leader would tell us, no. You should not be defined, your identity is not defined by what you do. What you do should be defined by who you are and why you're here. You're here to refine and spiritualize this material world. Be successful, be prosperous, make money. But realize it's all means to making your corner of the world, a more loving, giving place. We can be takers or we can be givers. The purpose is to become a giver, not a taker. Not someone that hoards, but someone that spreads out, that illuminates, that shares, that inspires, that brings light, an ambassador, and an agent of light in this world. This all resonates with us. Each in our own way. Not just to our loved ones, but to the entire world because you know what? We're all one large organism. We're all pieces of a larger mosaic. A larger symphony. Each of us has our unique music to play. I'm not writing the speech for the visionary, for the leader. But maybe I am. Maybe this is part of that speech. Live up to who you are meant to be. Not just... Survive, react, conform, follow. Be proactive, lead, initiate. You have everything you need inside of you. And what better time when your schedules are disrupted? That's exactly what we should be doing. A call to civility, a call to higher service. There's a pandemic of racial outrage. Some of it legitimate, some of it overblown, some of it exploitive. And even that, you have to be careful what to say today because people are trying to control. But if you're going to be honest with integrity, let's look at everything. Let us call the human race to the better angels within us. Whether you're black or white or Hispanic or Asian or Chinese or whatever culture, race, nation, we are all part of the symphony. Hearing a message like that, I would say daily, a good leader would make sure. It doesn't always have to be in a speech. It could be in writing. Yes, we've gotten guidelines from the governments. What to do, what not to do. Masks, not masks. 10 people, less than 10 people. These are all preventive measures which are necessary. This is what you come to hospital. They tell you, these are the guidelines. Here are the guidelines. Why didn't they print a booklet that says, here are 10 things you can do for your spirit, for other people, what well, we as a collective human race should be doing, individuals should be doing. And again, I don't think it's malicious. I think many are ignorant. They're clueless. So the best they can do is respond to the crisis, reactive response to the best of their ability. In truth, I think some have also become corrupt, and that's not, their interest is not that. Their interest is either to be reelected or their interest is to shine or to use this as an opportunity to shine. And perhaps they're doing good things as well. I'm not suggesting otherwise. But that humility to step back, it's not about you. It's not whether you're going to become a better politician. I don't say, oh, wow, this person rose to the occasion during this crisis. I trust him. And then, of course, there's the polarized other side of things that says, no, the whole thing is a selfish guy. You have two narratives. You don't even know who's right. You don't even want to know anymore. So then you ask yourself, where's that individual that rises? That rises to the occasion and tells us all, hey, we're here for a higher purpose. We will do what needs to be done on the ground level. I assure you, that person would get reelected. But it can't be faked. You have to be real. You have to be like a Moses. It's not about you. It's about the divine purpose. Moses was the humblest man. Humility is critical. Not because the humble person will also not be arrogant and won't make mistakes. That's a big part of it. But it's also the humility invites everyone in to something It's not about that person. It's the cause. Then, of course, you're going to trust something like that. And of course you're ready to pay a price when you see the leader is paying a price. And he's in it with you. And he's the shepherd of a flock. And he's sensitive. And he's ready to listen to another perspective. Humility is what allows us to become greater than we are. To embrace a cause greater than ourselves. I would like to say and believe that this 2020, year 2020, which will be remembered for the corona-COVID-19 pandemic, and be remembered for the racial tensions and rifts, will not just be seen as a moment, a setback, where, we, yes, we put out the fire at some point, we fixed things, but we only fixed the symptoms. We only dealt with the remedial, the immediate, but that should be remembered as a year where we look deeper and said, what is missing? What is missing the big picture? This is a missing component that's not being spoken about. But if you think about it, you say, of course. Of course it resonates. The missing component, where is the spiritual vision in all of this? Where's the bigger picture? Where are the leaders that can speak that language? They don't exist because those leaders are just, I don't want to say paper pushers, they're just administrators. They just happen to be in the position. Let's look at Hollywood. So there are leaders in Hollywood. Look what happens at the Academy Awards. They glorify themselves and each other. But what do they represent? They represent the best of us. They represent a moral vision. Some of them are wonderful people. I'm not criticizing them. But this is the country in which we live. Their exaggerated presence in our lives, that we look at them as the celebrity. When they walk by in the street, you'll look at them. You'll turn away from others. If Moses was walking, and the the number one actor or actress was walking in the street, we would turn toward the actor and actress. We've created our own, I don't want to say monsters, our own leaders in our image. That's what we worship. Sports heroes. Then you suddenly hear the sports hero was suddenly arrested for uh, beating beating his spouse for some other aggressive misogyny. And you realize, one second, what were you worshipping in the first place? Did you think he was like the kindest, most refined person? You're worshipping his aggression. You're worshipping what he does on the field, not what he is as a person. Some of them are wonderful people. Some of them could be wonderful people. We've created, then celebrities, whether I just mentioned in Hollywood, or sports, music celebrities. Some of them are geniuses. But do they stand up, the humble, spiritual messenger, ambassador of a higher truth? Where are they? I would think there'd be some songs being written. And I'm sure there will be. Maybe for commercial reasons, maybe for ulterior motives. But you'd like to believe that there's some that are, I'm not going to say prophets, but some would look at the bigger picture and talk about that spirit. But again, we live in a country, we live in a time, not just this country, the entire world, we're those, that language doesn't really exist, not in our schools, not in our homes, and definitely not in our clubs and sources of entertainment. This is what 2020 should be, reclaiming the narrative, reclaiming the point of departure, reclaiming why we're here. And when we do that, we'll expect leaders of that stature. And besides the fact, you think a leader that has that quality, you think there was a Moses around, he'd want to become the president of the United States. He'd want to become a leader in any of the communities or industries. Why would he? He stands for higher standards. He doesn't want to be the king of the fools. He doesn't want to be the king of materialistic success. He wants to introduce a higher picture. Perhaps if he was a true leader, he would say, I'll I'll, I'll take on the challenge, and perhaps I can bring out the best in people. So, my friends, we can be the best, or sometimes we can turn into the base elements of survival. And we have the opportunity here. By asking that question, where are our leaders? We're compelled to answer that the leaders reflect us, where are we? If we focus, refocus, and reclaim our own this destiny and do not betray the purpose of our lives individually and then collectively, and today with social media and all the technologies, it's easy to share this message. I assure you that leaders will emerge, and you may be that leader. I may be that leader. It begins with leadership in your own little environment, in your own self. You think in that proactive way, that visionary way. So in a way you can say every downside has an upside. The upside is the silver lining. Is that we are now compelled to be that leader. It behooves us to rise. And many have. Not even deliberately or planned. Due to the challenges. We have to become innovative. How will I entertain my children? How will I be more loving? How will I make sure? that other parts of my life are maintained, interesting, creative, innovative ways people have come up with. We have become in many ways leaders in in our own right. It doesn't contradict everything we've been speaking about. On the contrary, we want that to become a ground swell that will ultimately have a ripple effect, a butterfly effect, each one on the other. So please share these ideas. I again say I didn't come here to criticize. I wasn't pointing fingers I didn't mention names because I think we're all in the same boat. I don't think it's one person or another. It's a product of our circumstances, but we can do something about it. When we ask the question, where are our leaders? Where's the leader within you? Where's the leaders around us? Where's that vision? Where's that spiritual strength and that courage? I'm confident. We ask the right questions. and We propose suggestions. The question itself is already half an answer. We rise to the occasion. We become not part of the problem, but part of the solution. That's already shifted things. And that shift can change worlds. Yes, change worlds. Please join me in this. It's a Simon Jacobson, Meaningful Life Center, meaningfullife.com a full a wide array of resources especially for these trying times hundreds of empowering programs to help us cope to help us grow become the best we can be so go to meaningfullife.com please share your thoughts comments like us on facebook youtube instagram We have a whole schedule of programs and events focusing on many of the issues we're dealing with. But in general, the whole human condition, as the name implies, meaningful life. Not just a life, but a meaningful, purposeful one. A deliberate one. It's a great honor to share a few words with you. And really, this is a relationship. So please, reciprocate. Love to hear from you on all levels. Positive, critique, suggestions, ideas, insights. We are all part of this larger symphony, cosmic symphony, and we can make it happen and turn the world into one beautiful musical composition. Thank you very much. This program is brought to you by the Meaningful Life Center. Please help us continue our programs. Make even a small contribution at MeaningfulLife.com donate.